Welcome to the Message Podcast from Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can find us on most major podcast outlets. Visit cotnaz.org for more info. Our worship services stream weekly on Sundays at 9 a.m. on YouTube. You can also find our live stream at cotnaz.org. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road. We also have a campus in East Rockingham at 414 South East Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, our Spanish-speaking campus meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. at that same 1871 Boyers Road location. Check out our website, cotnas.org, for more info. Glad to be with you again this morning um, as I had the opportunity uh, to pray with some of the leaders before the first service. Uh, the Lord just gave me this, and maybe it's for someone here today, that he is offering mercy to you that you have not even asked for. Even now, he's offering you mercy that you've not even asked him for today. And so uh, that's, that's for someone here. Maybe it's for every one of you, uh, certainly for me. But um, let's dive right in to the book uh, of Revelation. Um, and I have this illustration. Uh, it's a, I'm, I'm not showing it, but I, I'm going to uh, explain it here. It's a, a cartoon illustration. It's illustrated, right? Uh, and there's this cartoon that puts perspective uh, on persecution, right? It's shamefully humorous. And so uh, in one box, uh, in these four panels, you have people praying. And the first one is a New Testament Christian, so it's what we see in Acts and uh, throughout the New Testament. A New Testament Christian uh, praying, Lord, give me the courage to face this accusing mob. They're being persecuted. Then in the second box, you see a Reformation Christian when the church was reformed. Um, and you see the, the person praying, and they said, Lord, help me declare your truth despite the cost. And then in the third box, you see a 20th century believer from Soviet Russia praying, Lord, may we persevere faithfully under these burdens. And then finally, today in the bottom uh, box, you see today's American Christian crying out, Lord, the Aldi has been running rough lately. <laughs> and it's humorous, right? We snicker at it. Uh, it's shamefully humorous uh, because it puts perspective on the way that we often view persecution in our culture. But here we are. We're back in our series, uh, Revelation. And uh, the, first, the first week, this is the third week. If you missed the first two, I encourage you to go back to listen to those online. Uh, the first week, we dove into it, and we just tried to peel back uh, the ominous layer, the veil of, of revelation that can often seem uh, frightening, and basically say, this is a revelation that came from Jesus, delivered to the Apostle John, and he's written it down. And ultimately, revelation is about Jesus because it's going to be about him from the beginning to the end, and so there's no reason to be afraid if you are in Christ Jesus. And so then last week, we looked at the first of seven letters that Jesus is speaking to John to write down to send to the seven churches in Asia Minor that existed at that time. And so last week, we looked at the first church that is mentioned in Revelation chapter 2, and that's Ephesus. And this church was a church that Jesus said, you guys are doing some good things. You're checking all the boxes. You, you have a lot of good church activity going on. He said, but I have something against you. You have lost your first love. You're doing all the right things with the wrong heart motive. He said, you've lost your love for me. 
and you're going through the religious activities, the religious motion uh, of the day in and day out, showing up, doing the things, checking the boxes, but you have no love for me. And so he calls them to repent and turn back to their first love, to him. And so uh, that's the church in Ephesus. And now we move to the second church he addresses, which is in Smyrna. And so that's where we're going to be today. And I heard this in a message by a pastor named Alan Jackson, not the country artist, but uh, pastor Alan Jackson said this. He said, if we don't pause to hear what Jesus is saying, then we won't be prepared for what's ahead of us. If we don't pause to hear what Jesus is saying, then we won't be prepared for what's ahead of us. And so what's going on? Well, I want to dive a little bit into what we know about the city of Smyrna, the city that he's writing this letter to in general. It's 35 miles north of Ephesus. Many of these churches, these cities were close in vicinity to one another. Smyrna, the name itself, comes from the word uh, synonymous with myrrh. The definition is bitter. It comes from a word meaning bitter, which is kind of ironic because of the experience that these Christians experience in this city. But Smyrna comes from the same word meaning myrrh. Myrrh in scripture is a fragrant incense, a fragrant perfume that we find mentioned throughout scripture, and it is a pleasing aroma to God, as we will see these believers certainly turn out to be. Uh, Smyrna is an ancient and wealthy port. It was one of the most important Roman cities of the area, a place where emperor worship, Caesar, right? Emperor worship was central to the life and prestige of the city. The city itself began at the harbor, and it covered the undaulting ground between the harbor and the Mount Pagos, which was the mountain range that kind of surrounded this harbor city. And this hill was covered with temples and public buildings, and these noble buildings encircled this hill, and the locals proudly called these the Crown of Smyrna. It was referred to as the Crown of Smyrna. Hold on to that. So what do we know about the church at Smyrna at the time? It's likely started as an outreach from the church in Ephesus that we learned about last week where Paul had went and spent a significant amount of time that these believers had went out and began uh, this church also in Smyrna. The believers in Smyrna suffered because they would not worship the pagan gods of the Roman Empire. Rome would allow other religions to exist as long as all would worship the emperor above all else. It's most famous for an early church bishop named Polycarp who was a disciple of John, who was martyred also around A.D. 155 to 168. At the time when Revelation was written, about 95 A.D., the church in Smyrna was small and poor and persecuted. Significantly, this is the church of tribulation and martyrdom. That is being murdered. That's you're having your life taken because of your faith in Christ Jesus. However, Jesus has nothing negative to say about this church. He only offers them encouragement in their affliction. So let's dive right in. Let's dive right in. Revelation 2, beginning in verse 8, this is what it says. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they're Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I'll give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. This is the word of the Lord for us 
today. And so I want to take the time to unpack this, what's happening here, what, what God is saying, what Christ is saying to this church, and then what does that have to do with us sitting in Elkton, Virginia in the year 2023 in the United States of America? So here we go. Revelation, we're going to begin uh, in the first verse there, verse 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these are the words, and I love this, I told first service, this is one of the most fascinating things to me because it just shows you who Jesus is and how much he cares for you, okay? How much he cares for his people. It says, uh, these are the words of him who is the first and last, who died and came to life again. Jesus is not just given some random name for himself. He introduced himself to John in the beginning of Revelation with all of these names, the Alpha, the Omega, the first and last. And he picks the name specifically on how he's identifying himself to each of these churches. It's not random. It's specific. So even in Christ's introduction of himself as the one from whom the message is coming reflects his identification with these people and their living hope that is found in him. Let me show you. He says, I am the first and last. Here, Jesus is emphasizing his eternality, that he is eternal, that he is the first and he is the last of all things. And so here he's saying, I especially in relation to eternal life, identify with you because this church is, is to suffer martyrdom. And so he holds out the promise to them of the crown of life. I am the first and the last. Hold on to the hope that you have in me. And then he says, and also the one who died and came to life again. Jesus reiterates his victory over death. And this was of paramount importance that the believers here in Smyrna understood their possession of eternal life because Jesus would ask them to be faithful unto death. Although the devil could destroy their body, he could do no more. And so Jesus says, I was dead and I am alive forevermore. Hold on to your eternal hope in who I am. And so Jesus tells the church in Smyrna that persecution is in their future, but he encourages them to be faithful to him, even when their faithfulness entails prison and punishment and death. Even then. He continues in verse 9. He says, I know your afflictions and your poverty. I know, Jesus says. I know. I know. Those two words found in the text, I know, it's, it's repeated. They make up only five letters in the original language, yet they're a critical aspect of the message from Jesus to the church. I know. Jesus is saying, you're not separated from me. You were not forgotten. I know your situation. I know your afflictions and your poverty. He knows their hardship, both because he's God, he, he is Lord, and he has saw what happened to them, but also in the sense that he knew their hardships by his own personal experience in his earthly life. And friends, this matters. How powerful it is when you're going through something hard, when you're going through loss and tribulation um, that may not be due to persecution, but when you're going through something and someone can put their arm around you, someone can sit with you and say, I know your pain. I know what you're going through. I've been there. And simply their knowing does something to your soul, does it not? I know what you're feeling. And so here, Jesus, this is Jesus himself saying, listen, I know church. Jesus says, I know. I know your afflictions and your poverty. How does he know their afflictions? Well, in John 15, when Jesus was in his earthly ministry, he says this to his disciples as he's walking with them. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. 
If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And so Jesus is explaining to those who would follow after him that the hatred of the world will be a continuation of the hatred that he personally witnessed throughout his public ministry. And so because the disciples both in Smyrna and we today around the world are separated from the world by virtue of faith in Christ Jesus, they qualify for similar treatment as do we today. He says, I know your afflictions because I've experienced them. And then he continues, he says, and I know your poverty. Listen, there's two ways that you can express poverty in the Greek language. And one of them is this idea of poverty where it's just like you don't have much. You got enough to get by, but you don't have much. And then there's this other word meaning abject poverty. I mean, you are just impoverished, nothing. And that is what is meant here in the text. He says, I know your abject poverty. That is a result of their persecution. It's a result of them being persecuted for who they stand for. This is happening today. This isn't something in Revelation, in New Testament. This is happening today. I read an article this past week from Christianity Today, and it was talking about uh, Christians in the Middle East, in Pakistan specifically. And it was specifically about two teenagers who had recently been arrested because a police officer said he thought he heard them blaspheme the name of Muhammad from inside a house that they were in. So they were arrested, teenagers, 14 and 17, I believe, thrown in prison. And there, according to blasphemy laws, if you blaspheme the name of Muhammad, you can be thrown in prison for life or even sentenced to death for simply taking a stand against worshiping the God of that culture. And the article continued, it says, as if navigating blasphemy laws weren't hardship enough, Christians who live in major cities are often relegated to poorly paid and hazardous jobs like sanitation work. So they're put into poverty and mistreated because of the name of Jesus. This is happening today. This was an article from last week. So this is happening in our world today. He says, I see, I know your afflictions and your poverty. Yet what does he say? Yet you are rich. Listen, this is what Jesus thought of them. The culture, the people of Smyrna, the world, they did not see these people as rich. But listen, if Jesus considered them rich, then they were rich. They're rich in perseverance, in faithfulness, in loyalty, in their eternal reward. You know what this says? Our estimation of ourselves is far less important than God's estimation of us. Do you hear that today? Our estimation of ourselves is far less important than God's estimation of us. I want you to remember that and let it humble you and encourage you today and in the days ahead. You see, one of the features of Revelation is that it offers a heavenly perspective on our situation in a way that reverses what we might expect, which makes it puzzling often. So while the believers in Smyrna are afflicted and impoverished, Jesus says that the reality is actually opposite, that in reality they are rich. The only thing that matters is their standing with Christ Jesus, who is the first and final word on all that there is. Jesus wants to transform our perspective today because you and I need to see differently. We need to see differently. 
So he says, I know, I know your persecution. I know about the slander of those who say they're Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Who is this group who say they're Jews and are not? There was a great synagogue in Smyrna, and these were the unbelieving Jews of Smyrna who had physical circumcision, right? They had the religious requirements of the old covenant, but they lacked circumcision of their heart. They had no relationship with Jesus as their Messiah. And we see in the New Testament that much of the fiercest persecution of the early church came from these group of Jews. And he says, so I see the slander from these who think they are serving God, but really are not. And he continues in verse 10, do not be afraid. This could literally be translated as stop being afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. This idea of testing, he's saying to put you in prison to prove your genuine, your genuine faith in me, your genuine commitment to the good news, to me as your Messiah and Lord. And it's under God's allowance. And he says, and you'll suffer persecution for 10 days. There's speculation if that 10 days is 10 literal days, if it's uh, uh, metaphorical days. But what it shows is that the suffering is limited. There's a set time in God's hands where this suffering is limited. He still is in control. You see, the Jews from the local synagogue are slandering and denouncing these believers, thinking they're serving God, but actually are acting on behalf of Satan, the adversary of God's true people. And that word there, that word devil, that word devil could also, diablos, could be uh, translated as accuser or adversary. And so what Jesus is saying is he's wanting uh, that the members of the church in Smyrna, when they find themselves in prison, they were to understand that it was spiritual powers which had placed them there. You know why? Because it would make it easier to bear the tribulation and especially to pray for those who were persecuting them. I don't know about you, but I would need some divine grace to be praying for someone who just threw me in prison. But the word of God tells us we don't wage war with flesh and blood, but with spiritual powers in the heavenly realms. And then he, he continues after he gives them this warning of what's to come. He says, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Be faithful. Be faithful faithful. Pastor Vance Havner said this, he said, this tribulation does not mean the common trials to which all flesh is heir. Some dear souls think they're bearing their cross every time they have a headache. All right, so what the Pastor Vance is saying is saying, this isn't just some suffering that you're experiencing because you're human. No, he continues, he says, the tribulation mentioned here is trouble that they would not have had if they had not been Christians. That's what we're talking about. Suffering because of the name of Christ. Suffering because of a righteous cause. And so they're suffering because they refuse to bend their knee and compromise their worship by serving the gods of their culture. Loyalty to the lordship of Jesus was the banner flying high from the castle of their hearts. Loyalty to the lordship of Jesus. Jesus speaks of this. He spoke of this in his earthly ministry. What would happen? And to those who are faithful, they would receive the victor's crown. When he begins the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, he's teaching the people and he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the victor's crown. 
Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say, that's slander, all kinds of evil against you because of me. He says, you're blessed. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We see Jesus' earthly ministry, his teaching is lining up with his revealed self to John. And in all his glory, he's speaking the same words to the church. And he says, blessed are you. Why? Because persecution provides an opportunity for believers to show they truly belong to the kingdom of God. Why does it happen? Because living with a commitment to righteousness and justice is often offensive to others. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German theologian, pastor, author, teacher, a brilliant mind, uh, born in Germany, uh, wrote his doctoral thesis at like the age of 21. He came to America for a while to teach, but he felt compelled to go back during World War II. He had a chance to stay in America, and he chose to go back to World War II because he felt called to fight against the tyranny of the Nazi regime. And I don't mean fight as a soldier. He went to fight with words and with the word to tear down these strongholds of what was happening over in Germany and Europe during World War II. And he would ultimately be arrested and be sent to a concentration camp and hanged as a martyr. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said, discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ. Right? Discipleship is to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. And so Diedrich says, discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ, and it's therefore not at all surprising that Christians should be called upon to suffer. Pastor by the name of Terry Laughlin said, persecution is a great paradox and a part of Christianity. Therefore, it's put last of the eight Beatitudes in what we just read. Jesus gives mention of it twice in his opening statements in the Sermon on the Mount because persecution is certain. Paul, in writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy, said, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Listen, this isn't a gloom and doom. Stay with me, okay? Stay with me, because this is for our encouragement, this letter to Smyrna. You see, what's going on here? What's going on in Smyrna that Jesus is saying, listen, even if you're thrown in prison, even if the threat of death is what looms in your horizon, be faithful. You see, once a year, the Roman citizen or those who belong to these Roman providences like Smyrna, they must burn a pinch of incense, a pinch, just a pinch, right, of incense on the altar to the Godhead of Caesar. And having done so, would be given a certificate to guarantee they had performed their religious duty to declare all that the Christians had to do was to burn that pinch of incense, say Caesar is Lord, receive their certificate, and go away and worship as they please. All they had to do was compromise a little bit. But that's precisely what the Christians in Smyrna would not do. They would give no man the name of Lord. That name they would keep for Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. They would not even formally conform to save their lives. Not even a pinch. Be faithful, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. This crown he offers is not some royal crown. It's eternal life, but the crown doesn't refer to some royal crown of a king, but to the garland and wreath awarded to the winner of an athletic contest. You know, you you see depicted in art, uh, the the wreath that was around those who had won the race, who had won the competition. And it's fitting imagery for those in Smyrna because Smyrna was known for their athletic games. 
And so Jesus is promising those who are faithful till even unto death that he would give them honor and victory and life. And these people understood it because the crown was synonymous with Smyrna. He was speaking their language. There, the cult worship of the emperor was held high and the emperor wore a crown. Uh, There, they had seen those who had won the athletic competitions receive a crown of victory. And there, even in their own city, the buildings that surrounded the city were called the crown of Smyrna. And what Jesus says is, I'm going to give you a crown that will outlast all of this stuff that's going to fade away. Just be faithful, even unto death. And then Jesus finishes how he often does. He says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious, the one who is a conqueror, the one who is an overcomer through Christ will not be hurt at all by the second death. The second death uh, is, is a weird, right? It sounds weird to our, to our minds, and it's only mentioned by name in the book of Revelation by Jesus, by the way. But we get this idea of life and death all throughout Scripture. It's a theme that weaves itself through it. And so we understand physical death, the first death, right? We understand what physical death is. It's the way of all men. Every one of us in here, uh, one day we'll take our last breath in these physical bodies. There is no escaping that reality. We must know that reality is real so we can live according uh, to our limited time here, our life that is a vapor. But you're not escaping that unless Jesus returns before you take it. But what the Bible also talks about is this idea of life and death in the spiritual realm. So you can undoubtedly be physically alive and be spiritually dead. And what that is, is it's separation from relationship with God, your creator. And so what the second death is that Jesus talks about here, it's the eternal lake of fire. It's forever separation from God and relationship with him. It's ultimate condemnation. And that's not what you and I were created for. We were created for relationship. But you see what Jesus says. He says the one who's victorious, the one who is an overcomer, the one who is a conqueror, will not be hurt at all by the second death. That verb, that phrase, will not. Listen to this. This is is remarkable. It's the double negative ume in the original language. So what, right? The double negative ume, but it emphasizes the impossibility of being hurt by the second death. For those who are victorious in Christ Jesus, it is impossible for you to be hurt by the second death. Exhale, okay? But listen to what Jesus is using here. The commentary said this. It is the strongest negative assertion about the future of which the Greek language is capable of communicating. That should do something to us today. You know what that means? You know what that means? That means when Jesus says something, you can stake your life on it. When Jesus promises something, you can take it to the grave. If Jesus says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. If he promises his presence, you've got his presence. If he promises he'll give you the grace that you need, he's going to give you the grace that you need. Jesus is using the strongest language that is even capable of being expressed in the Greek language. For those who are victorious in me, it's impossible for you to be hurt by the second death. Don't be afraid. And Diedrich Bonhoeffer, we said earlier, he he said to rely on Christ's word and cling to it offers greater security than all the securities in the world. 
And listen, although the United States has certainly turned from God as a country, Christians in America are not yet, not yet enduring the kind of persecution that the letter to the church at Smyrna warns about. But for other believers around the world, this kind of persecution is a daily reality. So while the letter to Smyrna is helping to prepare us, and we're going to look at that, it is helping others right now. Persecution is on the rise around the world, including the West. An American article by Forbes uh, says this, that studies consistently show that Christians suffer significantly higher levels of persecution and intolerance compared to other faith groups. And if you look at the slide here, here's some headlines from around the world in recent years. It's not something back then. It's something that's becoming a reality in our world today, even in our Western American world. I found this uh, in a 2020 post, and so these numbers are probably low. These are facts about persecution of Christians. This was three years ago. More Christians were martyred in the 20th century than in all other centuries combined. Currently, over 200 million Christians are being persecuted worldwide. 70% of the world's population lives in a religiously intolerant environment. Every five minutes, a Christian is martyred for their faith. Every five minutes. That's unfathomable, isn't it? These numbers were from 2020. I don't know about you, but if you look around, I don't think the numbers are going to be improving. But listen, take heart. Stay with me, okay? Stay with me. This word is for encouragement. This word is to strengthen us. To me, this testifies to the truth of the gospel of Jesus, that it is a message like no other. And if we read the signs of our times across the world as a whole, it seems self-evident that persecution could accelerate in frequency and magnitude, even here in America, much quicker than we would imagine. And listen, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but we must simply be attuned with reality to see that a true biblical worldview does not reconcile to the worldviews of the culture. They can't be reconciled with one another. Gene Veith, Missouri Synod Lutheran professor, stated this, He said, one of the greatest paradoxes in Christian history is that the church is most pure in times of cultural hostility. When things are easy and good, that's when the church most often goes astray. When Christianity seems identical with the culture, and even when the church seems to be enjoying its greatest success, then it is its weakest. Conversely, when the church encounters hardship and persecution and suffering, then it's closest to its crucified Lord. Then there are fewer hypocrites and nominal believers among its members And then the faith of Christians burns most intensely. In the past four years, and I believe this was posted a year ago, in the past four years, two Lutheran pastors in Finland were arrested because of their stance against abortion. Last year, which I believe would have been 2021 when this was written, last year the trial of two Finnish Christians, one Paive Rasanen, member of the Finnish parliament, mother of five, and member of the Finnish Lutheran church, posted a tweet on her social media stating that the Bible is clear that sex is only for heterosexual marriage. She is now on trial for her tweet. She stated, this is a case about whether it's allowed in Finland to cite the Bible and to agree with it in topics that go against the tide and challenge the current ethos, the current spirit of the culture and thinking. This is today, friends, in our world because of a tweet, because of a stance, and it's only, it's only 
increasing. So why is it increasing uh, against Christians? Why is persecution increasing in the West, in America, around the world? Well, we look at the previous example and we, we see that righteousness, proper living according to God's word, is an offense to people who live for the flesh and the world and the devil. You see, true holy living by the children of God will convict those who live for themselves. What else is causing this shift in the culture? A Pew Research article from September 2022, just the end of last year, said depending on whether religious switching continues at recent rates, speeds up, or stops entirely, the projections show Christians of all ages in America will shrink from 64% to between a little more than half, 54 and just above one-third at 35% of all Americans by 2070. Over the same period, nuns, those who have no affiliation, would arise from the current 30% to somewhere between 34 and 52% of the population, and all other faiths will ultimately double. Why is it increasing? Because those who identify as Christians are decreasing in our country. Those who identify with the Lord Jesus Christ are becoming lesser and lesser. It's the stats. I'm, I'm not making it up. It's, not, it's, just, it's just the reality. Pastor and theologian John Stott once pointed out that persecution is simply the clash between two irreconcilable value systems. That clash is what we're seeing now, and it's ultimately between those who believe, trust, and love the God of the Bible and those who do not. Those who do not. And so we're called to be different according to the word of God, because of the grace of Jesus Christ, to live in ways counter to the cultural narrative, to the worldview in which we must daily navigate. We're called to be different. The culture uh, verse the kingdom. The culture says that self-fulfillment is the way to life. The kingdom says deny yourself daily. The culture says accumulate more and more. The kingdom says give more away. The culture says live for the moment the kingdom of God says live for eternity. The culture says follow your heart. The kingdom of God says obey the Lord. The culture says love is God, but the kingdom says God is love. The, the culture says live your truth. Whatever's true for you, live your truth. But the kingdom of God says truth is objective and his name is Jesus. The culture says curse your enemy. The kingdom says love your enemy. The culture says forgive if it feels right and they're sorry. The kingdom says forgive because you've been forgiven so much by God. The culture says figure it out on your own. The kingdom says wait on the Lord. The culture says seize control. And the kingdom invites you to surrender control. And you see this call has and will continue to bring about increasing persecution of those who identify with Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so what should our response be in light of this reality? The response should be faithfulness, and that's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's a fruit of the Spirit of God, His presence and power at work in the life of a believer, a follower, a disciple of Jesus. We can't muster that up on our own strength. I can't, you can't, no matter how hard you try. We need the power of God's Holy Spirit to fill us, that we might walk according to His ways, that we might deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow after Jesus in the way. We're called by our Savior and our King to stand firm and be faithful, even as the cultural social pressure dramatically and viciously increases and slander becomes more severe. Will you hold fast to your confession of faith in Christ Jesus 
even if it costs you the promotion because you won't compromise your integrity? What about if it costs you your job in general? Will you hold fast in your confession, even if it costs you comforts and pleasures that the rest of the world seems to enjoy, whether it be possessions or positions or prosperity? What if it costs you relationships? What if it ultimately costs you your life one day? And listen, the answer to any of these is is hesitation. I ask you to just soberly allow the Holy Spirit to examine your heart this morning. Because we live in a neo-paganistic culture and world. We don't live in a Christian culture. We're not even post-Christian culture. We're beyond that. And Christians, even in the West, are called names and suffer forms of violence, are despised and rejected. Just turn on the news, watch YouTube, open social media. It's, it's a reality in our world, our culture, our country. This isn't back then stuff uh, from Jesus' day and the Bible. This is relevant reality that we must We must listen to what Jesus is saying, right? What do we begin with? We must hear what Jesus is saying so that we can be prepared for what's ahead of us. Warren Wearsby said this, and I have it on the screen. What is important is faithfulness, standing true to Christ no matter what the government might threaten to do. Just like Christ called the church in Smyrna to be faithful, even if it leads to death. And I will give you life as your crown. Jesus, speaking to those who were his followers in Matthew 10, said this. He said, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered. So don't be afraid You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I'll also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me, I'll disown before my Father in heaven. And he drops down and Jesus finishes this teaching to those who would follow after him. He says, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. But whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And so as Isaac comes... Diedrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, said this. He said, when Christ calls a man, when Christ calls a person, he bids them come and die. So it's like this. If you want to really live, then first you must die. But if you seek above all else to simply live, then you will die twice. What a strange paradox, but a marvelous one for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, why are the words of the second church in Smyrna so encouraging? It's because it reminds us that no matter what we see in our circumstances, God is still in control. It reminds us that suffering is brief compared to eternity in his presence. It reminds us that God sees our persecution and he knows about it and he's with us in it. And it reminds us that even if we're poor in this life, we are rich if we are living in Christ. So we can summarize the entire short letter to the church at Smyrna in four words. Fear not, be faithful. That's the summary of this letter to this church who's facing persecution, who's facing uh, this trial that has come upon them. It's fear not, be faithful. And that's his word to us as a church today. As we look at the culture around us and what's happening, what's shifting, what's changing, the, the word is fear not, church, be faithful. So they ring true to the church even today. 
For the believers in Smyrna and many around the world, Christ is not a theory or a nice answer or the guy in the sky who just makes everything comfortable. He is their comfort. He is their encouragement. He is their living hope. Is Jesus that to you today? Because he can be that to you. He wants to be that to you. The bottom line to this is there is no imminent fear in death when you intimately know the one who defeated death. There is no imminent fear in death when you intimately know the one who defeated death on your behalf and on mine. Pastor Terry Lawton finishes talking about this text and says, this text does not encourage Christians to seek persecution. Don't hear that. But neither does it permit retreating from it or sulking or retaliation. Christians who are persecuted because of righteousness will have a great reward in heaven. They may not understand the purpose nor see the benefits of it down on earth, but there will be a great reward in the future life. Persecuted Christians who are fully surrendered to the Holy Spirit can be like Peter and the other apostles when they left the Sanhedrin in Acts. In the book of Acts, Peter and the other apostles, Peter and John had been beaten by the Sanhedrin, told them to keep their mouth shut and quit talking about this Jesus. And they leave, and this is what it says in Acts. It says they left rejoicing. What? Because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name above all names. They had been counted worthy, and so they left rejoicing. Dave Gilbert, one of our own in Harrisonburg, said this. He said, God didn't give us this prophecy of revelation so that we would be smarter, but that we might be surrendered. And you see, friends, for you and I both, living a fully surrendered life is the foundation for staying faithful. Hear this. If you are in Christ today, be greatly encouraged by this word. Be greatly encouraged. Fear not. Be faithful and be encouraged today because God promises he will give you the grace to do what he calls you to do. Would you stand with me as we pray? As we pray and respond to a, Jesus, these are your words. These are your words to the church in Smyrna, uh, in Asia Minor, uh, many, many years ago. And they're your words to your church today, both around the world and to us today who may be asked to compromise, to sacrifice a pinch, just a pinch of incense on the altar. God, I pray that you would help us to be men and women, your children, your sons and daughters who would not even compromise a pinch, but would stand faithful, declaring your great love for us, that we would stand in that freedom of knowing who you are and who we are in you. As we worship, Lord, may these words, may these words be honoring to you in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.